0: Well, that's a day worth looking forward to, and uh, I'm glad we're on the winning side, amen. And uh, boy, I tell you, (laughs) I know we just went through all this kind of in our Sunday school classes in the last uh, few weeks, Uh, but the more you start to pay attention to our world and things that are going on, uh, the more the coming of our Lord seems imminent, and uh, I hope you're living in light of that. Uh, that uh, we're to live every day uh, like it's the day and he's coming and uh, I hope you're uh, keeping unspotted from the world, staying away from sin, being aggressive about building his kingdom and living for the Lord and uh, boy he's coming soon and uh, hopefully you're looking forward to that day with joy and anticipation and uh, what a blessing it's going to be. Alright, well we have been going through this series by faith and it's been a joy and a blessing of mine. I've really enjoyed it thus far as we've gone through Hebrews 11. And we now have been cherry picking some other passages of Scripture from here and there. So today I want to do a little bit of a deviation from where the series has been. So far we've been talking about faith in a general sense, meaning this... God's Word says it, so do it, right? That, that's faith, putting faith in God's Word. God declares it to be so, so we are going to act upon it. Uh, today I want to talk about this. Uh, instead of a, like a universal faith that applies to everyone equally, I want to talk to you about God's specific will for your life. Okay, is that uh, Maybe there's a teenager here this morning who's wondering, where does God want me to go to college? Uh, maybe a young man or young lady saying, who does God want me to marry? Uh, maybe a grown man who's here who's thinking about a career path change and thinking, God, is this what you want me to do, right? Um, you can search the pages of scripture, and I wish it would do this. But all the times as a teenager reading the Bible, I never found the verse that said, David Pugh is to marry Evie Eagle, which is her maiden name. It just wasn't there and so there are some things that are general wills of God, right? They're in the Word, and we know they apply to all of us equally. But there are some things that are specific to us. And so now the question is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Right? So let's uh, take our Bibles here this morning and go to Matthew chapter number 14. And if you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter number 14, and we'll start reading in verse number 22. One of the famous passages of Scripture here, just a very uh, telling story about Peter's character, makeup, and his uh, bullheadedness, I guess you'll say, uh, is found here in Matthew chapter number 14. We'll start reading verse number 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Uh, Where constrained there basically means this, they didn't want to and he made them. Okay, So he constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship, speaking of the ship that the disciples are in, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, now, let try to make this a little bit more colorful here, okay? They were troubled! Okay, if you just read it, normal, you lose the context there, because this is not like, a, oh, hey, look, that's, that's weird. They're losing their minds, okay? They're already fearful for death out on this sea storm that's bolstered up. And it says there that they were troubled. They are alarmed. They say this, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Can't you just sense what they're going through here on the ship? So in verse number 27, he says this, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Where do you get that idea from? I have no idea. It's Peter. Fill in the blank, right? Verse number 29, he then says this, And he says, speaking of Jesus, come. So that sounds like God just gave him the green light, right? Absolutely. God just said, Peter just said, I want to walk on the water to you. And Jesus said, Do it. Okay? He said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, Oh, Thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennazaret. I'd like to uh, preach to you here this morning on this having faith in God's specifics. What is God's specific will for your life? And when you find it, have faith in it. It's the subject this morning. May God bless the reason word. you can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here this morning. Mm-hmm. What is God's will for my life? When I was a youth pastor um, for four years, I probably had that question asked more than any other question, right? Uh, in Bible college, other students asking the same thing. What's God's will for my life? There's a lot of key and major decisions that happen around that time of life, aren't there? Well, an 18-year-old has to make a lot of life choices and in and around that time. But I- I've learned as I've gone on with life, though, is that's not where those questions end. There's some pretty major questions then. But as life progresses, there's a lot of other questions that come up of this. Does God want me to do A or does God want me to do B? And maybe being at a crossroads or at this point of saying, I don't know if God wants me to do this or if he wants me to do that or if he wants me to do neither. You might be here this morning wondering about an occupation, saying, well, what job am I supposed to have? What career path does God want me on? Does God want me to take that promotion does God want me to go with this other company? Does God want me to take this other position even within the same company? Maybe you're a young person here this morning and you are asking those questions of where should I go to college? That's a big decision. It's a really big decision. Uh, maybe you're asking this question. Should I marry him? Should I marry her? Is this the right one? Is this who God wants for me? Or is there another Right? Maybe you have some of those questions going on in your mind. I think this is probably a question more people should be asking that less people are asking. We have more people entering into ministry now than we have at any other point. So maybe this is a question a lot of people would ask, does God want me in full-time ministry? Uh, Say this, be careful what you say to that question, saying, well, I'm just not even going to ask it. Because God might say, that looks like a good candidate, right? Uh, Oftentimes those who run are the ones who get swallowed by whales and wind up going to Nineveh. So be mindful of that, but maybe some young people or even some older people need to ask the question, God, do you want me involved in some capacity of a full-time ministry? Maybe it doesn't have to do with full-time ministry. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe it is that you're thinking this, um, does God want me involved in that ministry at Bible Baptist Church? It's not full time. It's not, but maybe you're asked this Does God want me to help uh, teach that class? Does God want me to help it be involved in the nursery? Does God want me to go on November 4th and shoot teenagers with paintballs? Yeah, it's a big question to ask about the will of God right there, right? You want to make sure you're in the will of God when you go to that activity, you know. I say, maybe this morning, maybe you're just even asked a question about a specific ministry, even here, right in this local New Testament church. I'll say this, if you're a member here at the church, God wants you to be involved in ministry at this church. He wants every part of the body functioning. Otherwise, parts of the body aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right? I'll say this, maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting. And you're saying, where does God want me to be a member of a church? That's a big question. That's a huge question. Now, I have the great privilege as a pastor, everywhere I get to go, I get to make the rules. Right, And if I don't like the pastor, that's my fault. Right, uh, now I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I'll say this. I know for me, if I were a lay person in a church and I were making a decision where I was going to take my wife and my four children, what man they were going to sit under preaching and what people they were going to be around and what environment as far as a church culture they were going to be a part of, that's a big decision. Amen. It's a big decision. What church does God want me to be a part of? And what is God's will as far as me being a member of a church, where does he want me to be? Now listen, we can go through the whole list of what is God's will for this area. And let's be honest, although there are a lot of things in God's word that are spelled out so clearly. Like if you're asking this morning, does God want me to be angry with her or not? The answer to that is no. <laughs> God has clear instructions in his word about anger, right, and how to deal with that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, should I retain this bitterness? No, dig up that root of bitterness, right? The Bible's really clear on that. But there's a lot of things that are specific to your life that are very much more complicated to deal with. Very complicated to deal with. And so the question then comes up, what is God's specific will for my life in this area? Now, I'm thankful we have many stories in the Bible of people who God gave a specific instruction, specific will for their life to. And uh, we could pull from many sources. But I just love Peter because he is so relatable. Because Peter is us at our best and us at our worst all in the same story, almost every time. And so here we have this story of Peter. And uh, of course, a lot of people... You know They just rag on him so bad for this story about, well, Peter did lacked faith and he sunk. Well, I'll say this, he had a lot more faith than the 11 guys sitting in the boat. Amen. He actually went out on the water and actually this, I'll say this, he asked the question. He asked the question. Sometimes I think we get into trouble because we never ask. We just assume and we do things that God never wanted us to do or we miss what God wanted us to do. Because we never ask. And here this morning, if for nothing else, may you take this message and maybe come to an altar and say this, God, what do you want me to do? That's a great starting point right there if you've never prayed and asked him what he wants you to do. Now, let me give you a little bit of background because we're, we're jumping in into the middle of a book, right? Matthew 14. So just for context sake, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. His head is gone. Of course, cousin of Jesus, a very emotional time for them. So Jesus now is dealing with uh, what's oftentimes called in the Gospels, the multitude, which is this group of people that are groupies. They just follow Jesus around everywhere he goes. And so at this point, there's a group of 5,000 men besides the women and children that have assembled and there's no place that can provide enough food for that many people. And, of course, Jesus performs one of his most uh, iconic uh, miracles by taking a little boy's lunch and multiplying it and feeding all of them and having 12 basketfuls left over. Absolutely amazing. The five loaves and two fishes, a a little boy's happy meal, and he fed 5,000 people. Mm. I know it's not the sermon this morning, but think about it. If a kid showed up this morning and he had a McDonald's happy meal, with four chicken nuggets and a little french fry, and we said, all right, we're going to feed all 120 people, 130 people that are here at Bible Lab Church. We'd all go, one pinch for you. I mean, that pales in comparison to what Jesus did did with the 5,000 people. And that's just the men, not counting all the women and children. It's incredible. I mean, 10, 12, 15,000 people that Jesus fed with a happy meal. That's awesome. And so here's this amazing miracle. And so in verse number 22, they're leaving this scene where Jesus is trying to send the multitude away. Which if I'm part of the multitude, I don't want to go away. I just got fed. I just saw this amazing miracle. But Jesus tells his disciples, in verse 22, he says this. He straightway told them to do something. So this is kind of a don't wait right now. Um, you're kind of dealing with your children sometimes. You say, I want you to do this right now. Okay, that would be the King James word there, straightway. Don't, Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't go and do something else first. You're going to go to the ship, and you're going to go straightway immediately. You're going to go and do what I'm asking you to do. Now, of course, it doesn't say it in the text there, but you can kind of read the context that the disciples are kind of putting up a little bit of a contest here of saying... I don't really know if I want to go over to the other side without you, Jesus. Well, why would they say that? Well, there's 5,000 people, just the men, who he just fed that haven't left yet. And they're like, we're not leaving you here with all these people. They might pull you apart, or they might want you to do something, or they might, I don't know, do something crazy. We're not leaving you here. It might kind of been a security thought that they had. Maybe it was this. They were like, we don't want to miss out on the next cool thing you do. That's where I would have been. Jesus, I want to stay with you. You just did a lot of really cool things, and I want to see the next cool thing you do. I don't, I don't want to miss that. I want to see that miracle there. So Jesus, the reason I think there was some contest there of them saying we don't want to, is he straightway said you're going to do it, and you're going to do it immediately, but it says this, he constrained them, which means this, he told them you will do this. This is not a request. It's me telling you I'm given a commandment here, and he, if you will, constrained, forced, put them into a strait, said, you will do this, compelling. It's necessity that you do this. So in verse number 23, Christ's intention for staying is to send the multitude away and then to go pray. Now this is very typical of the Lord. He would do some kind of miracle or do something and then He would want to go spend time alone with His Heavenly Father. So this is a very typical thing that Christ would uh, do. Now, when even was come is a term that's used here in the Scripture. So, Jesus is praying for a good long while, and now it is dark outside. Again, this is very typical for Jesus to pray for many, many hours. Now, we don't know how dark it was at this time, uh, but we know that it was obviously very dark because a storm was brewing and coming on. Now, in verse number 24, the disciples have made it a good way into the sea. Uh, It actually uses the term that they've made it about halfway or a good way in there. So they're about three to four miles across the eight-mile stretch from one side to the other of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide and 13 miles long. So it's this relatively smaller sea, but it's still of good distance. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I've never been there before, but what I'm told is is it's got a low altitude of the sea, and it's kind of surrounded by some mountainous area. So what can happen there in the Sea of Galilee is, is there can be this low pressure, high pressure that mixes and humidity from the ocean, and it can have these massive storms that whip up almost without warning. Now, again, I've never been there before, but I do know this, having just recently gone to the men's fishing trip on Lake Texoma, Uh, Lake Texoma and that area up there can be a little volatile with its storms as well. And so even with our modern technology, we knew the first day we got up there for the men's fishing trip that there was likely going to be some thunderstorms, but we got out on the water anyways, because that's what men do, right? (laughs) So... We're out there, and I was out with Brother Jeff Bilby, we're putting her on, and you know, the boat looks big till you get it out of Lake Texoma, and then it feels like you're in a little bitty nothing, you know, and you're out there on this boat, and the waves are going, and you're riding them, and you see these storms rolling in, and thankfully Jeff kind of has been on the water a little bit in his life, and he said, hey, it's probably about time for us to get off. We get back in, load up the boat, and boom, it just starts raining, and we're looking, and we're like, oh, well, there's David Moore, he's got his boat, and everybody's getting out, and we're looking around we're like, where's Brock Reeves? And he's out there on this massive pontoon boat floating around in the ocean out there. Which is what Lake Texoma becomes eventually in a storm, you know. But I'll tell you, when a storm shows up, it changes the whole dynamic of the sea, doesn't it? Amen. And so here you have these young men out on this boat, the disciples. And the scriptures describe it this way, that they are tossed with the waves for the winds were contrary. Contrary simply means this, there's no single bearing of the wind. It's not like the wind is coming in from the south. It's like south, east, west, north, and the boat is just being whipped around with this storm that's just bolsterous and going everywhere, the winds and the waves. Now, just to give some context of this, there are half of these men that are in this boat who have spent their entire life on this sea fishing. There there are these men, Peter, James, John, I mean, and others that were fishermen by trade that had spent hours and days on this water, fishing these very waters. And yet when this storm arises, the Bible says this, they're terrified. They recognize, even these fishermen, that the, the vessel that they're in cannot withstand this storm. This storm is bigger and stronger and more difficult than anything they've dealt with. And so they begin to row, and they begin to toil, and they begin to fight the waves. And they're out in the middle of this uh, sea, and they're four miles back this way, four miles back this way. And what should have been an easy trip, now they're in the fourth watch of the night. This is between 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. They left when it was still daylight, and now it's about to be morning time again. It's in the middle of the night. It's dark The winds are howling, the waves are crashing in them. They're exhausted, they're tired, they're physically weary. And all of a sudden, here comes this figure in the distance that the lightning illuminates walking on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but the disciples were troubled. Kind of gives us a little indication... Of what was going on here, for me, I would be terrified. Mm-hmm. Amen. I would be absolutely losing my mind at this very moment. But if you understand the culture, it is altogether even more scary. So at this time, it was a popular belief that people would frequently appear to the living. Now, of course, we understand biblically, it's not accurate, okay? So don't go home, be like, preacher said, there's ghosts, okay? But at this time, that was a popular belief in Jewish culture. So much so that the Pharisees wrote this in their book. They taught that demons would make themselves appear at night, and so they developed this law. It's forbidden a man to salute his friend in the night, for we are careful lest it should be a demon. So that's what the Pharisees were teaching people. If you're out at night, don't say hi to each other because that other guy's likely a demon. And so they're out on the water. It's a popular belief of spirits that roam the earth at night and demons that are out there. And they're out there and they're physically tired. They're worn out. They're rowing. They already think they're going to die. And then they see this figure walking on the water and they go, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. And so they're absolutely terrified. Now, I'm thankful that Jesus comes and calms their fear. Now, the phrase there that they were troubled literally means to boil. So if you can imagine these 12 guys in the boat, they're fumbling over each other almost like boiled water. That's what it means to be troubled. So I don't know what they're saying. John's probably saying, I'm going to die so young. Judas says, quick, save the money. <clears throat> Matthew, let's throw someone overboard. Slow that down. Go swim out there and get the ghost. You know? I don't know what they're saying. But at, at, obviously Jesus then communicates and says, hey, It's me. Don't be afraid. So here's where the big crux of the message comes. So Peter cries out and he goes, if it's you, obviously he's real assured in his heart. If it's you, let me come to you. And so here's where the response of Jesus comes. Come. Now, I don't know what the other 11 guys in the boat are thinking. If they're like, good, let the ghost eat Peter. I don't don't know if they're fully assured in their mind that this is indeed Jesus, if he has calmed their fears, I don't know. But in in Peter's mind, though, whatever's going on in his life at this moment, at this juncture, he asks the question, Lord, if it's you, I want to come out to you. Now, you say, well, why would he ask such a question? I don't know, it's Peter. (laughs) Fill in the blanks. I, I really don't know. There's no indication in the scripture of why he would ever ask this. But it is an interesting question to ask, isn't it? Amen. So here's Peter, and he says, let me come to you. And here is such a key moment in this whole story. Peter asked, and he got an answer. Don't miss that. Don't, don't, don't miss that in the sermon here this morning. Because oftentimes we neglect to ask, and then we act without God giving clear answer. And that's where we wind up in a lot of trouble. How, how ignorant would it be for Peter... To step out of the boat if he says, Can I come to you? And he goes, No. And Peter goes, Okay. I mean, of course he's gonna sink. Of course he's gonna drown. Of course he's gonna have problems. Why? Because he just was told by the master, I said no. And he did it anyways. Well, what if this? What if the reply came, yeah, come, come, Peter? And then Peter never stepped out of the boat and never went. Well, he'd never experienced God's will for his life. We'd never have the story of Peter walking on the water and the miracle that was there. Because obviously, Jesus' intention of telling him to come was for Peter to make it all the way there to him without any problems. So how do you know that? Well, when he started sinking, Lord, save me. And thankfully, God was in saving distance and grabbed him and pulled him up. And he says this, why did you doubt? Your faith was too little, right? Oh, ye of little faith. Now, here's the, the whole point of what's going on here in Peter's life. Jesus says, come. He steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water. And here's what happens. He is almost to Jesus. He said, how do you know he was almost to Jesus? Because when he started sinking, he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus was right there to save him. Just read the context. So there he's walking, and he makes it a good way to where Jesus is. And here's where the problem comes. I think in my mind a big gust of wind blew and kind of brushed up against his face, you know, real heavy. Because the Bible says this, when he noticed that the wind was boisterous. He had his eyes affixed on Jesus. He knew God wanted him to do this. This was God's will for his life and he was following what God wanted him to do. And then the wind became boisterous. And as he started to look at the wind and the waves and get his eyes off Jesus, immediately he begins to sink. Now, thankfully for Peter, he knew who to cry out to for help at that moment when he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus was right in the area and right in the business of saving him. If you ever find your way uh, and you're out trying to live for God and do faith in God, whether that's faith that applies to all of us or whether it's God's specific will and God's specific calling on your life and you find yourself sinking, stop immediately and call out to God, For help and saving grace. He's always in saving distance. Absolutely, he's always in saving distance. And so he pulls him up. And of course, that famous statement, he says, Why did you look away? Why did you doubt? Why was your faith so little? Why did you lack enough faith in me? Thankfully, Peter makes it back to the boat. The winds stop. And I love the disciples' response. Here's the disciples' response. They worship. You, I guarantee you, look in that boat, and all twelve of those men are kneeling, or they are laying down in that boat, and they are saying, "What manner of man is this?" They're worshiping him, which is the lowering of oneself to exalt the worth of another, and that's exactly what they are doing to Jesus. They recognize at that moment they call him this, the Son of God. Amen. Now they already knew who he was. But boy, when God began to kind of show them parts of His deity and allowed His Godhood to shine through His manhood, those were were very powerful moments in the disciples' life where they stopped looking at Him as a wonderful man and started seeing Him as God Himself. That was one of these moments where they began to worship Him. They go over to Gennesaret, finish the trip across the sea, and carry on with ministry. They say, well, what exactly does that have to do with me and my life and my of faith here. Well, we don't want to be of little faith. And like you and like me, I want to know God's specific will for my life like Peter did in this instance where it wasn't maybe the will of God for 11 other men to walk on the water, but it was for Peter. Well, how do we figure that out? Well, Peter's water walking experience with faith Know this, he was already in a place of living by faith. Again, don't, don't miss this. Peter straightway was commanded by God to get into a boat. He was constrained to do so and to go to the other side. What, what was that? That was God's known will at that time for Peter's life. Where Peter was in that boat at that moment is he was dead sinner in God's will for his life. I think there's a lot of people who are going around and they're saying, I wish I knew God's will for my life. I wish I knew who got, what God wanted me to do here, and I wish I knew what God wanted me to do here. Can I help you out a little bit? If you won't do the known will of God that you already know you're supposed to be doing, why is God going to give you the next step? You know, think about it. If God's already given you clear instruction about this, and you refuse to live in faith in that area, why would he take you to the next level and show you the next step that you're supposed to do? Too many people, I think, are walking around and they're saying, God, I want to know the answer to this specific area of faith in my life. And yet they refuse to live in faith in the known will of God for their life. There's somebody saying, oh, I wish I knew... Who God wanted me to marry, I wish God would show that to me. And you know, God's been revealing in your heart and been revealing in His Word and been showing you through other people's influence in your life that the deadbeat that you're dating is not the guy. I mean, that that's a hard thing to deal with as a youth pastor. I with. You have this young lady, and she's saying, "I wish I knew who God wanted me to marry." You're like, "Well, it's not that guy." And you know, God doesn't want you with that guy. So, how do you know God wants you? Because of all these things, we can go to all the scripture. You got people in your life, your parents, everybody else is telling you no, and you're still bullheadedly moving forward with it. And you're saying, "Is he God's will for my life?" The answer is no. So if you know the known will of God for your life and you refuse to follow it, how can we expect God to show us the next step? And here's the thing with Peter. He was where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do, when God showed him the specific will for his life, that he was able to step out of the boat and walk on the water. When he received a clear answer of yes, he responded by faith. God will always answer the question that you ask Him in prayer about His will for your life. God always answers yes, no, or here's the fun one, later. Wait. The wait is always a very difficult one to deal with. But God will always answer your prayer. Peter had faith, but it was too little because of doubt caused by fear. He got his eyes off of Christ and on the surrounding circumstances. The object of his faith got out of view and out of focus, and that's when he began to sink. When God reveals his will for you, I say this, unless he deviates from that plan and shows you something different, go where he wants you to go and keep your eyes on Jesus and do what God's called you to do. Uh, you say, well, what, what, what application does that have here? Well, if God's called you to be a, a member of Bible Baptist Church and something happens here that maybe isn't... Um, Enjoyable. I don't know how to say that. Other than to say you get church hurt. Can that happen at Bible Baptist Church? Yes, because we're all humans here and people say things that they don't mean and do things that they don't mean to do. And sometimes they do mean to say them and do them and it hurts people and people hurt people and people hurt. Church hurt is a very real thing. So this, but if God called you to be here and you knew that that's where God called you to be, don't get your eyes off Jesus. The winds begin to blow boisterous. And how many people begin to sink and jump ship and give up? And say, no, if God called you to that, be, be faithful in that. God called you to a ministry. Oh, man. God called me to teach the, the fourth and fifth grade boys and girls. I'm pick on the bilbies a little bit here. It's their class. God called you. And then there's that one kid that starts coming that's absolute terror. Like made the class go from a ray of sunshine to dark and gloomy death every week, you know? And you're like, I can't handle this anymore. Well, God called you to the class? Well, He knew that student was going to be there, and they needed you, right? L- listen, sometimes I think we jump ship because the winds begin to blow boisterous. Listen, keep your eyes on the Lord and know if He's called you to that, He'll equip you to what He's called you to do. And so Peter, of course, if, if Jesus told him, come... He intended him to make it all the way, but Peter got his eyes off the Lord and started looking at his circumstances, and his object of faith got out of view. When Peter began to experience failure by lacking faith, he called out to God to save him. As we've already talked about, it's a very important thing for us to do. When it was all over, I love this ending thing, he worshiped. Well, a wonderful thing to do in the midst of God revealing his will, never forget to stop and worship the Lord. He is definitely worthy of it. So one of the most sought after answers of what is God's will to my life, not the general will of God, but the specific will of God. Who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to have? Where should I live? How many kids am I supposed to have? What ministry am I supposed to be involved? What church am I supposed to be a member of? What uh, giving does God want me to be involved in beyond my tithe? Uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on and on and on all the questions that could be there. The reality is, is that God wants to make His specific, not just His general will, known to you so clearly that you also can act in faith to that specific thing that has been shown. So let me give you these. These are questions. Um, I'll just give you the story here a little bit. In 2019, I guess it happened originally in 2018, uh, we were just enjoying life and ministry in Kaufman County at Faith Baptist Church out there. And I got asked, as it happens every once in a while, to go preach out. And I was preaching at a preacher's fellowship. And while I was there, unbeknownst to me, there was a group of men from a church that were looking for a new pastor. And so, long story short, uh, they contacted me some weeks later and said, we would like to consider you for the pastor of this church. And so I said, I don't know. We're pretty happy with where God's called us. And anyways, long story short... We wound up candidating at that church, and in that process, we had a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulties that happened because of that. I'll spare you all those details, but I called a a good friend, a person who's preached here for a revival for us, Brother Gaddis, and called him and said, how do I know if this is what God wants us to do or not? Because that's a big decision. Because it doesn't just affect me, it affects like a whole congregation of people. And at that time, as it was when we came here, it affects two congregations of people. When you're leaving, one you're going to. So for us, we were like, man, we, we need to make sure God's in this thing. We don't want to touch this unless God's in it. And, and I love, Brother Gaddis took the time and talked to me. And he said, uh, gave me these five things of how to know if it's God's will. So if we say this, these are five key questions to ask when seeking God's will for your life. Now, again, if it's a general will of God, it's in the scriptures clear as night and day. You don't need to ask these questions. You already know the answer. But when it's something specific that's for your life specific, these are some great questions to ask. Here's the first one is this. Does it align with God's Word in doctrine and philosophy? Does it align with God's Word in doctrine and philosophy? A lot of people say, God wants me to do this. And I can take them to chapter and verse where God says not to do that well, you know, God wants me to go into the bar and drink alcohol, and that way I can witness to the people at the bar. Well, let me take a verse here, right? No, no, no. I've heard some of these very things that people talk about that they feel like God's specific will for their life goes contrary to the known will of God in His Word. Okay? So does it align with God's Word? Does it, will it fit in with Scripture? Okay? Second thing is this, are there circumstances... That act like road signs pointing the way? Are there circumstances that act like road signs pointing the way? Now, I don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but I will say this. When God started dealing with us about Bridgeport, we hadn't thought about Bridgeport in a long time. It wasn't on our radar at all. And then God started bringing up all kinds of things, where at one time there were three different pastors. Who called us specifically about this, who didn't know the other ones were calling us? So it's just kind of like, whoa, hey, it's almost like you're on the highway and you start to see a sign, Dallas in 20 miles, right? Dallas in 10 miles. I think Dallas is coming up. I keep seeing road signs, right? That God will put things in your life that will be kind of like road signs that say, hey, this is my will, this is what I want you to do. Okay, number three, does it come at a time when you are delighting in the Lord? Does it come at a time when you're delighting in the Lord? This is so key. This kind of comes with what we talked about earlier with Peter. Peter was already doing what God instructed him to do when God told him the next step. If you're not delighting in God at that moment and you're not in love with the Lord, I'll say this. Do not make any major decisions when you're on rocky grounds with God. Don't do it. I'm telling you, there's no reason for a hasty decision of a career change or marrying somebody or doing any of that when your relationship with God is on rocky grounds. You say, well, what do I need to do? Well, get things right with the Lord. Get before Him. Confess your sins. Make things right with God. Get on good standing with Him. And then when you get on good standing with the Lord and you're walking with Him, then come to Him with that question once again. But if you're not good standing with God, boy, it's a dangerous thing to try to act on the specific will of God in your life when you're not delighting in the Lord. The fourth thing is this, is it evident to others? Is it evident to others? It's a a good chance when me and my wife were dating, before we were dating, we were just friends, we had everyone in our life, both of our sets of parents, siblings, everybody that was saying this, we see it, God's in this, this is right. We had pastors, youth pastors. I'll tell you this, if it had been the opposite, we wouldn't be together. As much as I might have felt like, man, this is what God wants. If my parents were told me no, and her parents said no, and our pastor said no, say this. They see something that I don't see. And I'm going to rely on some spiritual maturity. I'll say this. God gave you a pastor. I know for many of you all, I'm younger than you are. But I'll say this. God gave you the position of a pastor in a church to help you see things that you might not otherwise see. And there's a great danger when you have spiritual leadership in your life. People you trust in this church or a pastor of this church or other people that are your friends, godly friends, not ungodly friends, godly friends that are saying, you ought not do that or you ought to be wary of that. There ought to be some red flags that go up. But I'll tell you, on the opposite end of that, if you have a pastor and you have a church and you have godly friendship and leadership that's saying this, hey, we see that. We see God moving in this area. Have you considered this? It can be another thing that says this, green light, this is God's will for my life that it's evident to others that God wants me to do this. And then the fifth thing, which is always wonderful, which fits in so well with our sermon here is this. Know this. This isn't so much a question as much as it is a statement. It will stretch your faith. If God's going to lead you somewhere, He's going to do it so that you are closer to Him and you are more functioning for Him. God never is going to lead you to a place where your faith is going to diminish. He's always going to take you to a place where your faith is going to grow. Say this, you might be saying, I don't don't think I could teach that class. I don't think I could be involved in that ministry. I don't know if I could do that. Well, maybe it is that God's leading you to that point because He wants to stretch your faith and grow you. And that's very much so a thing of the will of God. Quickly, some things to remember when we'll wrap this up. You must be doing the known will of God The general will of God before God's going to ever show you anything specific. Seek specifics. Pray, pray, pray. Get counsel. Read the word. Ask, seek, knock. If you want him to answer, ask. If you want the door to be opened, knock. If you want to find it, seek it. Those are very, very key things. And then do this. Wait for him to answer specifically. He will give an answer, and then when he does, act in faith. And then... What Peter shows us here is when he reveals something to you, don't lack faith. Don't deviate from that. Don't allow other peripheral things to distract you from that. Keep your eye on the Lord and do what God has called you to do. So what is it here this morning? Maybe God's been dealing with you about a specific ministry. Maybe God's been dealing you with about joining this church or going to another church to join in that church. Maybe God's been dealing you with about some specific thing in your life. Maybe it is here this morning you do some business with the Lord and say, God, I have not asked you and I need to do this. God, what do you want me to do? And God, will you make it evident and clear? And may he this morning, not in an audible voice, but through the calm and cool of his spirit in your heart, answer this, come. Like he did with Peter. And then do this, step out in full faith, nothing doubt. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation this morning.